Jitto Heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome to your Thursday Rush Hour here on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. If you'd like to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC. That's the number to reach us, 800-848-9222. Glad, as always, to take your calls today. You know her from ESPN, Michelle Trafoya. Well, she's doing some new things now, and we'll ask her about that. Michelle Trafoya will be joining us. And I'm looking forward, very much forward to speaking with her. She is, uh, beyond sports, Michelle Trafoy is a well-versed political and social commentator on everything. And so I'm very, very much looking forward. She does a podcast, but I'll let her tell you about what she's doing when she arrives to our airwaves. You might be interested to know that... If you make a $100,000 salary in New York City, there's a new study that tells you just how far that $100,000 goes. If you make a $100,000 annual salary in New York City, it's really worth, thanks to high inflation, your salary is really worth $35,000. That $100,000 that you make, by the time you get through adding in inflation, your real purchasing power is $35,000. What does that mean? Like in other cities? Like in a, in a low-cost City. Well, for instance, in Oklahoma City, their inflation strikes too. But if you're living in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma is has the lowest cost of living in the the, the, the uh, cities that were studied, and together with taxes, that hundred thousand is worth eighty four thousand dollars. So you get eighty four thousand four hundred ninety eight dollars worth of purchasing power from your hundred grand salary if you are located in Oklahoma City. Seven of the top ten cities where $100,000 goes the furthest are in Texas. Seven of them. El Paso, Corpus Christi, Lubbock, Houston, San Antonio, Fort Worthless, I'm sorry, Fort Worth, and Arlington. The worst cities, if you're making hundred grand, where it is valued the least, New York City is number one. Hey, we're number one. We're number one for your money. Can I guess number two? Go. Uh, San Francisco? Nope. No? Nope. That would be number three, Scott. D.C.? Nope. Boston? Nope. L.A.? Nope. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. Honolulu. Oh. Yeah, well, you know, Honolulu, it costs a lot of money to live out in Honolulu. Then comes San Francisco. Then comes Washington, D.C., so you were calling all the right cities. I forgot about Hawaii. Yeah. I forget, I forget what we have that all tucked away down there. Yep. Honolulu, second for where that $100,000 actually 
is 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 less valued than spending power. So after that, New York City, Honolulu, San Francisco, Washington D.C., Long Beach, California, Los Angeles, San Diego, Oakland. Notice all those California cities bunched up where it doesn't go. And then back to the East Coast for Baston in Massachusetts and Seattle, Washington. Have you noticed a trend here? Let's go through these cities and tell me what you notice collectively about each and every. If you add these places together, what do you notice? What is the common thread between these cities where your money is less valued. New York City, number one, Honolulu, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Long Beach, Los Angeles, San Diego, Oakland, Cali- Oakland, Boston, and Seattle. What's the common oh, thread? they're all liberal. Yep. The only exception would have been years ago, San Diego, back when Republicans ran things out there, but that's been over. For I, I would have said that the, they're just very densely populated and, and housing is expensive, but the Houston thing throws me for a loop, so that doesn't hold. And Houston is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Your hundred thousand dollars. Imagine that you make a you make a hundred thousand dollars a year is actually worth thirty five thousand dollars in New York, and that's before the criminals get theirs. There was a, here's one of these other, there was a study, you know what, I see so many crime stories that I have become immune, almost. But every now and again you read one and you say, how is this possible? How is this possible? An Oklahoma man has been sentenced to life in prison after pleading guilty to killing three people, not one, not two, but three, including a woman whose heart was cut from her body, and this happened weeks after he was released, of course, from prison as another one of these liberal mass commutation efforts. You know, they talk about mass incarceration and then the liberals have this mass commutation. Oh, let's let them all out because the jails are too crowded. Lawrence Paul Anderson, 44, didn't bother to plead not guilty for this one. He pled guilty. Grady County District Court, three counts of murder, single counts of maiming, assault, and battery. Life without parole. And it was part of a plea deal. The plea deal was like, okay, listen, uh, we won't give you the death penalty, but if you just plead, you can just spend the rest of your life in prison. Again, weeks after they let him out. Early. And and of, of this little plea deal, the prosecutor said that the families didn't really want a trial. They didn't want to sit in the courtroom, listen to all the gory details of what what happened to their loved ones. Well, this is what happened to this is what happened to their loved ones. Scott, pay attention. Christian, pay attention. Diego, pay attention. This criminal broke into the home of Andrea Lynn Blankenship. She was forty one years old. He fatally stabbed her. 
But that wasn't enough. After he stabbed her, he cut out her heart. Then he took it to the home of his uncle and his aunt, Leon Pye and Delise Pye. He cooked this woman's heart and tried to serve it to them so that they could eat it. Then he fatally stabbed his uncle, Leon Pye, 67, and his four-year-old granddaughter, and he wounded his aunt. The mother of the slain four-year-olds cursed him in the court. Who kills a baby? Who does that? Well, the Democrat Party does that. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm really not trying to be funny. Who kills a baby? Who does that? We can all answer that question, sadly. He was released from prison less than one month before these outrageous, horrific, horrid attacks. After he had served his, uh, he was released early after his 20-year prison sentence for drug-related crimes was commuted by the then-governor, Kevin Stitt. This is, liberals tell us all the time, these drug-related crimes, oh, no big deal. Oh, it's all racism. Let them out of jail. And so, here he was. Another one released out of jail. This is everything that liberalism stands for when it comes to criminal justice. Do not punish the criminals do not let them receive full accountability for their their crimes. Release them onto the streets. I say this all the time on this show, and I know I say it so often, I fear that many of you hear it and don't hear it about what Democrats do, but these things have real-world consequences. When you let evil Rome on the streets, evil does evil, and evil does evil in ways that some of us cannot comprehend. Who does this? And even now, in the face of all the evil that this guy has committed, the state still gives him a break and says, oh, no, no, it would be too too harsh for the families to have to hear what he actually did to them So let's spare his life and just put him back in the prison system again that we let him out of early because we wanted to be nice. This is what liberals have done to justice in America. There is a a story today. I didn't print this one up. The 
the governor of Arizona, this new governor out there, Katie Hobbs, she just said, screw the death penalty. I, Even though I was elected governor and it is my responsibility as governor to carry out, she said she is going to ignore the law, the state law that demands that she sign the death warrant. She is unilaterally changing the laws of Arizona so that there will be no more capital punishment on her watch. Gavin Newsom did this in California. This is what liberals do. This poor woman whose four-year-old daughter was stabbed to death by this maniac who kills a baby, who does that? Answer that question, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't have to give you the answer. Who kills a baby who does that? Exactly. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, here on WABC Talk Radio 77. We are coming back right after this. Don't go away. Your telephone call is 800-848-WABC. 800-84-Oh, some relaxing music. Yeah, Stephen Bishop. This is the latest version, I think 2008 it was, with Earl Clue on and on on WABC. They got lots of pretty women Steal your money then they break your heart Lonesome Sue, she's in love with old Sam Take him from the fire into the frying pan On and on, she just keeps on trying And she smiles when she feels like crying On and on, on and on, on and on When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. Aretha. A Stevie Wonder composition until you come back to me. Aretha Franklin brings us back. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. I looked at the album credits on this a very, very long time ago. And the bass player, Stanley Clark, is on this. And then I saw another one that said it was Chuck Rainey. So I've been confused for years. Who is it? Is it Chuck Rainey or is it Stanley Clark? 
Whoever it is, he's a badass. Nice harmonics if you continue to... Yeah, okay. Anyway. There are... this. I can't decide whether this is courage or whether this is dictatorial. And perhaps you will want to weigh in 800. And it's not here. It's over in France. But as you may know, the French people have been in, some of them, in an uproar because their Presidente, Emmanuel Macron, has, as part of his main legislative agenda, has pushed for raising the age of retirement. He says it will make the country more competitive on the global stage. But it was unpopular. So the and it's two years we're talking about. Raising the working age in France from sixty-two before you can get the full retirement Benny's package to sixty-four. There have been hundreds of thousands of people in the streets protesting, and sometimes those protests have involved tear gas. Look it looks like a war zone. And, of course, they have been what the French do better than almost anything else, strikes. Well, it was due for a vote today. Moments before the vote was to be taken, Presidente Emmanuel Macron decided to invoke a special constitutional power that he has and just decide we're going to do this as a country. We're doing it, never mind the vote. And this was minutes before that vote was about to be taken. So he instituted now his measure to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64. It is expected that within the next few days there will be a vote of no confidence. It's the parliamentary system over there, so there can be cause for a no-confidence vote, which would mean elections, new elections must be scheduled. He's in his second term. As president, almost half a million people have protested around the country. But, aha, that sounds like a lot. And it is a lot, but really half a million, that's it? So one has to wonder whether he will survive the vote of no confidence or not. But more importantly, is this political courage or is this Macron ignoring quote-unquote democracy and acting as a tyrant? The Constitution in France does allow for him to invoke the powers that he used, so he did not act unconstitutionally. And I don't know. I don't know how you. I don't know how you do. I don't know how you see this. You know, the expert on Biden money in China is our own Rudolph Giuliani, whose show precedes this one. There's a report today in the New York Post that Haley Biden was one of the recipients of money from China. She scored over $35,000 over two transfers. 
from another Biden family associate after he was wired $3 million from the Chinese state energy firm. HK Limited, yeah. This is the widow of Bo Biden, who Joe Biden always tears up his son that he lost, who he tears up about quite frequently. Also, the widow who was, how shall we say, stripping Hunter Biden for a while. Hunter went after his brother's wife. It's Yes, it's a little bit unseemly. But after his older brother died, he was out stripping the wife. This is the Biden family, folks. All this money swirling around, a lot of it from China. We don't know why exactly the widow of Bo Biden would be in. What did she do for the money is the question. What did the Bidens do for the money? As I said, our very own Rudolph Giuliani is probably the national expert on the Bidens and their use of Chinese money. Another one of the banks, this one in New York, that was in trouble, the First Republic Bank, We learned today that executives from that bank sold $12 million in stock in the three months before the Silicon Valley Bank crash. And now they are being bailed out. I wonder if there will ever be an accounting on these bailouts. Oh, have you seen the Whoopi Goldberg stories that are all in the news? Scott, have you seen these? No. I want to give you this story. After Michelle Trafoya leaves, you can you can tell everybody what this story's about. James Golden, a.k.a. Sterling here with you, WABC Talk Radio 77, 800-848-WABC. It's our rush hour. Michelle Trafoya is going to join us. Your calls are also coming up, so don't go away. We have more, a lot more. To go through with the news and with your calls this afternoon. Watching the ships roll in, and then I watch them roll away again. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. I'm in an Aretha mood today. On WABC. When I began. When I began to realize. That I've cried so much. Oh, since you've been I'm drowning, drowning my own tears. 
Ray Charles' uh, version of this is also incredible. Do we have Michelle Trefoya with us? Michelle Trefoya will be joining us in a few moments here on WABC. San Francisco, my friends, the San Francisco. Uh, phasing out natural gas furnaces and water heaters. This is the latest attack on the conveniences in the home that we have all been used to. It is gas stoves. Now it's natural gas furnaces. Your water heaters. Your water heaters. All of this is being phased out. This by San Francisco Bay Air Quality Regulators. The air in San Francisco apparently demands that natural gas furnace and water heaters be eliminated from daily life. The one, the only, the legendary Michelle Trefoya is with us. Many of you ESPN fans met her there, and you know her from there. If you have never been introduced to Michelle Trefoya, you are in for a treat, ladies and gentlemen. Michelle, welcome. How are you this afternoon? Oh, my gosh. It's so good to talk to you. That was a quite a generous intro you just gave me. Well, it's very true. You are a legend, <laughs> and I'm so happy that you are here with us. Michelle, tell everybody what you're doing these days, if they are missing your beautiful face on ESPN, where can they find it? Well, they can find me. I do a a podcast wherever you get your podcast, YouTube, wherever, Apple. It's called Sideline Sanity with Michelle Tafoya. You can Google it with my name or or Sideline Sanity. Um, I left the NFL sidelines and Sunday night football because I, I just, I'm really concerned about the future of this country, which I am leaving to my kids. And I wanted to be a voice in in the discussion about where we're going and and how we're getting there and so yeah i gave up a really (laughs) somewhat glamorous uh job to to do something a little less glamorous but to me far more important well it is so important what you're doing and yes that was a glamorous job but you're gonna have you are having so much success with your podcast and then just going to do nothing but continue to grow and your national stature will continue to grow. Now, let's talk about a few things that are apparent. Let's start with sports. There was another case this week. I printed it out last week. A high school team um, lost a track meet. It was a high school team of girls. They were competing against girls, except one of the members of the winning team wasn't a wasn't was a transgendered girl. A, and, and towers above the rest of, quote-unquote, her teammates. And the Daily Mail had someone quoted in their headline and just said, look, this is cheating. And yeah. they're, look, they're looking, how, is this, how long is this going to go on? Yet you had a Christian school in Vermont who said, look, we're going to forfeit a game because they were facing the same situation playing against a team that had one of the, a transgendered member on the opposing side, and they have now been banned from competing for the rest of the year. So what is the state of this? How do you see this playing out long-term 
for girls. We spent a tremendous energy in this in this country, Title IX, in ensuring that girls would have a fair shake educationally to become athletes and to express themselves athletically. Are we yeah, reversing I, all those gains or what? What? I, I think to an extent we are. I mean, right? Because you you had Leah Thomas. This was, I think, the watershed moment when Leah Thomas, a, a swimmer at UPenn, left the men's team to join the women's team, you know, claimed all of the puberty blockers and the hormone stuff and and then just went on and excelled, went from being one of the lowest ranked male swimmers in America in college to winning an NCAA championship at whose expense at girls expense at young women's expense at the expense of someone who would have been on that podium, but was not because there was a biological male. Now to me, if you just say I'm a woman, you know, and I identify as a woman, that, that doesn't make you a woman. It doesn't make you a woman. We have different chromosomes we are, you know, when you, when, if you've ever had a child, like I have, you go to those doctor visits and they say, well, for a boy, he's on the trajectory to be in this percentile. Or if it's a girl, she has trajectory to be in this percentile for height and weight. The percentiles, they're different for boys and girls because we are biologically different. And to deny that is to deny science, it's to deny biology, and no number of puberty blockers is going to change that because... And, you know, even if you look at the child's life up until they start taking these puberty blockers or whatever it is they're trying to do and take, they are layering day upon day of being a boy, of having boys' muscles, bone structure, height, weight, all of that. Uh, the, the body fat content is always lower for men than it is for women. These are facts. And to deny them and just say, well, he now identifies as a woman, therefore, to be able to compete against women is so unfair to all these girls. Look, I remember Title IX. I was a little kid, and my dad was thrilled. He had three daughters. He wanted us all to be treated equally as athletes, to have the same opportunities that my big brother had. And now I've got a daughter, and I've got nieces, and if I were to see one of them lose an opportunity because a transgender girl decided they wanted to compete and they were faster or stronger, I'd I'd be furious, and I, I, you know, I just, I don't get it. One of the, uh, let's shift gears for a moment. So much to discuss with you. Um, in, at Stanford University, now Stanford is one of the highly rated universities in our uh, education system, such as it were. The federal, a federal judge was to deliver a speech. Instead of being allowed to, uh, to deliver his prepared remarks, it was a federal society club out there, he was verbally assaulted by one of the leftist diversity officers in the school, and it was pretty ugly, and by some of the students. Yeah. So the the dean, one of the deans out there, sends him an apology. We're sorry this happened. Uh, we've talked to our diversity officer, blah, blah, blah. They're not taking action that anyone can tell, but we talked to her. Ooh, bad, bad, bad. Shouldn't have done that. And, um, and we're sorry. Now you have students at Stanford who are protesting the dean for apologizing. This is just the latest. We have seen conservative uh, speakers or speakers that are not total leftists um, assaulted in some cases 
We've seen them stop from delivering their speeches at these, at these universities. Education overall, higher education is becoming a little bit totalitarian. Unless you agree with a leftist sentiment, your voice is not supposed to be heard. Where do you think education is headed in this country? In a very bad direction, in a, in a direction that dishonors what education is supposed to be about, which is about finding truth, having civil discourse, debating civilly, not yelling people down. That whole incident at Stanford was so embarrassing for that university, but I think they continue to embarrass themselves by maintaining that, that dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And by the way, for the, for the students who were angry that they didn't get to hear this judge speak, they got an email, and the email said, we're sorry you're angry. We'd like to offer you a safe space in the office of the dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion who will provide counseling for you if you feel uh, angry and frustrated, and you can go talk to her about it for, for therapy, basically. So, I mean, so go, as, go as, talk to therapy with the woman who actually prevented them from hearing the speaker that they wanted to hear. As someone, I think Jonathan Turley put it brilliantly, that's like asking Chris Rock to have uh, Will Smith be his emotional support person. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely nonsensical. For, for the law school to, to, to go to that, that solution, if you will, which is not a solution, the, the, the man should be invited back. And you know, I, I don't know how you, quote, unquote, make these students behave but it was it was absolutely ridiculous and embarrassment. I love that this judge went out and was so vocal about what he saw and what he experienced, because in a lot of cases, the, the point is to make these people afraid and to shut them up. And he didn't. And, I, and I'm pleased about that. Uh, but but, yeah, this is happening not just in colleges and law schools. It's happening at high school as well. So, yeah, and then when you have these students come dress up in black and silently stand outside the law school dean's office saying that, you know, shouting people down is also freedom of speech. Well, no, it's not. This is why I sent my diploma back to the University of California, Berkeley, where I attended four years. I guess I can no longer say I graduated because I don't have my diploma anymore. I sent it back because leftists on campus there, and even some who don't go to the school but show up anyway to intimidate speakers, we're having speakers having to leave campus, uh, obviously all of them conservative or not leftist, as you said, centrist. And that to me is just an absolute abomination. It is not what education is about. I was so angry that, yeah, I mailed my diploma back to the school with a letter explaining why. I got an email in return saying, oh, this must have been really hard for you. And I said, no, actually it wasn't. I don't need that degree to prove who I am and what I've learned. And, you know, we're starting to see some programs develop in corporate America for kids to come right out of high school and intern their way and work their way into, um, I guess, corporate America or whatever department or kind of uh, industry you want to go into so that you don't, you don't have to go to college because it's starting to look like not a very good value. Absolutely. Our time, sadly, is limited here. We need to have you back again, and we need to have you back often, if you will agree to it. There's so much more I want to just uh, thank you, then we will do it soon, because I want to talk with you about the upcoming 2024 elections. I want to talk to you about the border, what's going on with the border, and so many other things, and this banking nonsense that has gone on. You know, I'll leave you with it. AP did a fact check today. 
on the idea that wokeism had anything to do with the uh, with the Silicon Valley bank failure. And and of course they deny it. This wokeism yeah. had nothing to do with it. It was bad investments. It was this. It was a, where did the bad investments come from? From the yeah. wokeism. I know, and therefore the media, you know, is is helping pass this up too, and and helping to mask the reality out there. It's a sad state of affairs. Michelle Trefoy, thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to hearing from you on the program very soon. Okay. Me as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, James Golden Casner. We're coming back, ladies and gentlemen, right after this. Hour with Bo Snurdly. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Marvin and Tammy bring us back. Ain't no mountain high enough. Stanford, Connecticut. George, welcome. How are you? Welcome. Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour. Hi. You believe that a governor has the right uh, to declare that he will not execute a person that he thinks regardless of what everyone else thinks, that he thinks is innocent or did not receive a fair trial. The governor has the power to commute sentences. And so if a governor thinks that, and and that is one of the outs, and you raise a great, that is such a fabulous question. Because there are circumstances that are dubious sometimes. I'm not, look, I am... I don't even want to say pro-death penalty. I understand the death penalty as a function of justice. But let me be really clear and straight about something. The death penalty as it applies in the United States makes no sense. You have this guy in Oklahoma that killed three people, including a baby. We talked about it top of the hour. He's going to get a life sentence. And he had just got out of jail three weeks before he did this. Other people in Oklahoma who have done less, slightly less, heinous crimes have been executed. Then when you go from state to state, it varies. In some states, of course, like California, not at all. Yeah, I look back at California. California had over eight, 900 people on death row. The only one that I remember in recent memory that they actually gave the needle to was Tookie, the, the, uh, the gangbanger. That was it, one. And that was when Schwarzenegger was in office. If you look at some of what's happening in these other states, it makes no sense the way that it's applied. So in answer to your question, the the governor has a duty to fulfill their constitutional law. But in most states, in most cities, there is a component of allowing a governor to commute a sentence that they believe, in their discretion, merits commutation. So that is how they can exercise their own judgment in capital punishment. Thank you for the call. Really do appreciate it. Great question. Alan, Orange County, welcome. You're on WABC. Hey, Bo. Thanks for having me on. So uh, earlier in your segment, you uh, you were talking about the criminal justice system. Uh, and I have to say that it's extremely selective because uh, someone, let's say, who may attack or harm a politician, uh, you know they're going to uh, they're going to get uh, the book thrown at them. 
January 6th. January 6th, my friend, is exactly to the point that you were making. These people that have been thrown in jail, that have been denied due process, meaning a speedy trial, and in some cases held in segregation like they are the worst of the worst of criminals, and D.C. Uh, DC jails, which, by the way, had news reports saying that they their conditions there were just as bad as anything that our national press complained about at Abu Ghraib. But they were ignored. Why? Because this was an attack on a supposed attack on the swamp. And you are absolutely right. People that face criminals in their daily lives in every city of the United States are not getting the same kind of treatment when it comes to the resolve of their cases as these politicians who cried and moaned about this being the end of democracy as we know it. So, perfect point. Melvin in the Bronx, thank you for waiting. You're up next. Greetings. A study was released a few months ago stating that New York City is the second most expensive city in the world to live in. The most expensive city in the world, according to this particular study, is Hong Kong. Now, who runs Hong Kong? But, and yet, I hear all this stuff coming here about capitalism and communism. No, it's all about the lust of greed and exploitation. I'm a firm believer in solutions. Solutions are very simple when you study the history of the world and what jumped off. Well, it's all about exploitation, how we can get export uh, one group against the other. Because Columbus wrote What's in his the journal that the What's the solution? What's the solution? What's the solution? Excuse me? What's the solution? Well, Japan has the lowest murder rate in the world due to one simple fact. They do not manufacture guns. Only person people that carry guns is the police department. Okay. Well, thank you for that. So the solution to the high economic... Uh, plight in New York, according to Dear Melvin here in the Bronx, is take away your guns and your First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. And I always thought London was more expensive to live in than New York. If you've been to London and you compare prices there, that's a real thing. Wow. Oh, wow. Thank you for being here today, ladies and gentlemen. Always a pleasure to be with you for Boston Early's Rush Hour. Every weekday here, 4 p.m. And our Saturday morning radio extravaganza... Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Don't forget to check out the dailybs.com. We do twice a day news blast there. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you. And please protect you from these criminals that Democrats let back on the street on a daily basis. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you then. God willing. Thanks for being here. Bye. Thank you.